I am truly grateful for tonight. Uh, I have a, a good friend on with us tonight. There last year, I wasn't sure that he would be able to come on. Um, but tonight we have Lenny Gersa. Uh, Lenny has been around for a while in EMS. I've worked with him in many big projects, many small projects. Um, and and um, last year, he he outdid himself. He uh, he he ended up uh, getting tagged by uh, by COVID. And I, matter of fact, I want to thank our friend JT Dunn for uh, sharing that message that Lenny was in the hospital and he was sick, so we could get some prayer warriors going. But amazingly, um, he's here tonight. And uh, and what we're going to talk about is that COVID's real, and um, and the number one, number two, we're going to talk to Lenny about some of the how this all came about or how his survival came about the different steps and then the one thing that we know now is if you've had covid you don't just get to like go back to work um that there will be there, there could be long lasting effects um in, in my family my uh, niece uh who works in the hospital uh, came down with COVID and she was running marathons uh, in the marathon season before she uh, got COVID and uh, it decided to go after her heart and now she can't walk up two sets of stairs and that's and she has some cardiac thing with a name this long uh, so it, we're here and, and, and I want to uh, again thank Lenny for coming on so brother tell me so what happened? Were you so well, first of all, thank you, Chief, for having me on. Uh, my name is Len Gersha. I'm the director of patient transport at Yale New Haven Hospital, a role I've been in about two years. I've been in EMS my whole life. I was a firefighter for a small, short time. I was a cop. I've been a paramedic now for 31 years. And <clears throat> make a long story short, I was managing the center for EMS at Yale New Haven Hospital uh, in the spring or in January and February of 2020. And, uh, and Chief, I'll apologize. One of my long COVID uh, uh, symptoms is that I have quite a cough because of some tracheal damage, but we'll get to that later. And, uh, and so in March, when COVID was coming across the country, the leaders of the hospital thought that it was important for ACLS instructors, and we had many in our, on our team, um, get over to the hospital, assist the nurses on the cardiac arrest response team, and teach them how to use the thumper device. And so in the third week of March of 2020, I spent a week with my cardiac arrest colleagues on the, in the ICU, on the floors, in the ED, working with them. Because as in most hospitals, there's a large cardiac arrest response team, nurses, doctors, residents, PAs, and in the pre-hospital arena, Nick, we, we take for granted, you know, fire and EMS, we run a code with three people. Not true in the hospital. They run a code with like 12 people. So they wanted to minimize the uh, minimize the exposure. So, so you know me, I step up for everything. I said, yep, I'll go over to the ED. I'll work with them. Sometime during that third week of March, I was exposed, I believe, to COVID. Um, I had still been working on the road as a medic. 
for the North Brantford Fire Department, but I hadn't worked in like two successive weekends. And, uh, <laughs> excuse me. And so I was sitting in a meeting, I'll never forget. And I started to perspire and, and the colleague said to me, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I said, I'm really not feeling all that great, but finished the day and, and things were changing. We had changed the format of classes for our EMT and paramedic students that had gone online. And, and so I was going to work to kind of like, I love work, you know, so kind of keep the ball rolling. So anyway, March the 28th, I'll never forget. Uh, my wife said to me, come on, we're going to go to Yale Guilford because that cough sounds terrible. And I went to the Yale Guilford and I saw one of my colleagues, Dr. Tom Yang, who I'd worked with. And he said to me, oh, young man, you got pneumonia and we think you have COVID. And I said, COVID? COVID's like three weeks old. How could I have COVID? And he said, well, he said, I want you to go to get a test. And the next day was a Friday. So I went to the inaugural testing at St. Raphael's campus in New Haven oh for COVID and uh, got tested. And the next day they called my wife and said, your husband has COVID. And I said, okay. They said, stay home and stay away from everybody. And so I called my boss and okay. So fast forward about three days and I don't remember any of that weekend. It was April 1st at two o'clock in the morning. And I'd been sleeping on the lounge chair in my living room because I just couldn't get comfortable like a pulmonary edema patient. Yep, yep. And, and uh, my wife came out of the bedroom and she said to me, come on, we're going to the hospital. And you know me, Nick, I'm not too stubborn or thick headed like most um, first responders. I said, you're not calling 911. And so I said, uh, drive me to the ambulance and the ambulance bay is in the next town over. I live in Wallingford. We went over to North Brantford. I knocked on the window and I scared the crap out of the crew. And the door opened, the bay door opened, and um, I said to the EMT, I said, take me to the hospital. And I climbed in the back of the truck, and I laid down on the stretcher. And a medic I'd never met before, I said, I don't feel good. We need to go to the hospital. And one thing I'll take from this experience is it's very unnerving when we drove out of the ambulance bay, and my wife was getting smaller and smaller in the back window. Little did I know that I wasn't going to see her for 57 days. Mm -hmm. So fast forward, we go, we go to York Street, the LER, and I meet my medical director, Dr. Alyssa French. And, and you know me, Nick, I'm not too stubborn. And I said, Alyssa, I'm not getting intubated and I'm not staying, so forget it. <laughs> and needless to say, both things happened. I got intubated in the ER. Wow. By, that, by that, first, that first night? Yeah, my O2 sat was 68. See, now we had heard, I had heard um, that the weekend you don't remember was a terrible weekend. I don't remember at all. It was, you were running high temperatures. You were just a mess. Yeah, my wife said uh, they didn't know what to do with me. So, um, so all that is true. By the way, I know there's HIPAA, but I heard from people after the fact who said, you weren't in the ICU an hour and everybody in Hartford and London, <laughs> and all over the, my graduate school classmates from California knew. So anyway, so, um, so I go to the ICU. I have very little <clears throat> recollection of it. Um, I will tell you, Nick, that when I do my rounding now and I go visit the ICUs as part of my job, the sound of a mechanical ventilator stops me dead like a freight train. Scares, a, like scares you? Yes, there's a melodic 
clicking and beeping as the yep. as yep. the uh, ventilator cycles. So um, I get out of the ICU. I was there for, I was on the vent for 19 days. I was in the ICU for 22 days. And then I was in the step down. And, and I, I really had a lot of loss of cognition. And um, excuse me. <laughs> and I remember technology, iPad, like I'm talking to you now. I was FaceTiming my wife and my kids and they would ask me questions. My wife would say, um, you have, do you have children? And I'd say, yeah, I have three children. And my wife would say, what are their names? And I'd say, Jake, Alexa, and Mighty Mouse. And, and my, Mighty Mouse is my middle son. And so they didn't know what to expect. So we'd go through them and step down. Near the end, when I knew I was gonna get out, more of my impatient personality, on the day I was gonna get discharged, um, I kept calling my wife. I'm like, you gotta get me out of here. These nurses are the water Nazis. They won't give me a drink of water. I'm so thirsty. And so I, I got discharged late in the afternoon. And I, I didn't know then, but I know now that my medical director, Dr. Dan Joseph, and some of my colleagues, John McFarland from AMR and guys and gals from Wallingford, they planned a big hoopla, you know, and, and it was recorded by uh, East Haven firefighter paramedic John DePino. And, and so I get discharged. There had to be 400 people out there. Oh, yeah. Fire trucks and cop cars and ambulances. And and uh, yeah, and, and this so, is you're going out on a stretcher. That's I'm going out on a stretcher, right. And yeah, I think that's going to play into later. Right. And so it's it's kind of poetic because um, one of the crew was my godson, who was a brand new EMT. <laughs> And, and I was like, Sam, what are you doing here? And he's like, we're here to take you to Gaylord. And, you know, all that time in the ICU, your legs forget how to work from atrophy. And so uh, I tell everyone on this podcast and everyone I know that Yale saved me and Gaylord gave me my life back. Go ahead. You can ask oh, I want to ask, I, I don't want to bring up bad memories, but so when you're because again, all we're getting is the ABC and NBC portion of this. So when you're when you were in the unit, are you, did they keep you conscious? Were you unconscious? No, I, I don't. I was well. I was intubated and sedated. Okay. And and so I have some recollections, and and again, I, I want to tell the story, and 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 so um, I do kind of remember a couple times like waking up, and one time. Um, I found out later from a nurse, sorry, my dog is barking, um, that um, I'm always fascinated with 12 lead EKGs and my ability to read them. And um, so the nurses tell me later that it's like two in the morning and they, Tyler, can you get her please? You'll have to, you'll have to edit that out. <laughs> um, All right. Um, that they were doing an EKG 12 lead and the nurse said, I reached over and I touched the back of her hand and she held it up because she knew that I was a paramedic. And I kind of looked at it and nodded and went back to sleep. And so that's fodder for my family after the fact. Um, but so that's kind of, that's kind of something I kind of vaguely remember. And then so my story, go ahead, so, Nick, I'm sorry. So again, the, the, the sound. <laughs> sorry, sorry, chief. 
okay don't worry this is real life man this is live yeah um so but the you said that the, the ventilator would i mean i imagine that would get me because that's what the biggest thing uh, many people said was don't put me on event right right because you know i don't want to be a burden to anybody i'm like you i'm like all first responders we're be, we're caregivers we're not good at being care receivers you know mm -hmm. how many calls you go on with your old colleagues have a medical emergency or get in a car crash and you know they want to help <clears throat> so i get discharged there's that big hoopla and i want people on this podcast to know that's not me i'm a behind the scenes guy you are and one of my dearest friends is retired wallingford fire chief peter struble and his daughter was a nurse manager at york street and from the ambulance as we were driving away because i had my phone now after 20 27 days um i said peter i said i'm embarrassed and he said to me why and i said peter i'm not about that fanfare and peter's never said a harsh word in his life he said you need to shut up because they didn't do it for you they did it for themselves they kept their friend alive and i and i didn't you know i, I didn't realize it nick but I, I do now so we get to gaylord and now at Gaylord, there's all my Wallingford emergency management colleagues because, you know, in public safety, I can't have one or two jobs. Yale Haven Hospital, paramedic. I'm the deputy EMD in Wallingford. So there's a little bit of hoopla there. So go to Gaylord. They put me in a room and uh, it's like five o'clock in the afternoon. And I'll never forget, Maria was a PCA or is a PCA. She's probably a 55-year-old woman with a thick German accent. And she said to me, Lenny, we're going to walk tomorrow. And I said, we are not going to walk tomorrow, Maria. <laughs> My legs don't even know they are with me. And Nick, hand to God, she came in at 530 in the morning. She turned the light on and she said to me, we're going to walk today. And damn, if three days later, she didn't get me up and get me going. And, okay. you know, and, and the, the, the backdrop of the story, Chief, is there are thousands of caregivers, even just today, I went to visit one of the um, radiology sections of the hospital and a young nurse stopped me in the hallway and she said to me, hi, my name is Melody. You don't remember me, but I take care of you in the ICU. And I tell her what I tell everyone. Oh my God, thank you. Thank you for saving my life. And I said, okay, do I need to cut your grass or wash your car or what? You know, because <laughs> I feel like there's a million people that I need to pay back. And so we, we had a nice little laugh. And so I go to Gaylord, I get better. Some of my DMAT people came to see me on the release. I go home for, I don't know, three months. Made a couple of trips back and forth to Yale Guilford in the back of Wallingford's ambulance until my medications were squared away. Um, when I left the hospital, the attending said to me, don't come back here. And I said, Doc, what do you mean? He said to me, you got the COVID bonus plan. So I'm like, listen, I don't ever want to come back here, but I have to work here. So anyway, get better at Gaylord. Um, I never realized what an impact I had on literally thousands of people, not only in EMS and fire and police in Connecticut, but around the country, people I've had interactions with. My wife got phone calls and texts and food and, and stuff. So I was forever thankful. And even now, not for what people did for me with the goodwill and the prayers, but for propping up my family. And so I get out of Gaylord 
and I uh, and I get stir crazy now. I'm only home like six weeks, <laughs> and I get cleared to go back to work kind of unofficially. And so my first day back was August of 2020, and I was opening introductory inter- introducing an ACLS class. We had about 25 nurses. And after the first break, I'm walking down the hall and this young nurse comes up to me and she starts to cry. And I said, oh my God, did I say something wrong? Is there dirt on my tie? I mean, what did I do wrong? And she said to me, my name is Allie and I was your first ICU nurse. She said, I can't believe that you're standing in front of me. And again, I'm gonna say, oh my God, Allie, thank you very much. You know, what can I do for you? And so she said to me, I wrote you a journal at the direction of my nurse manager. The woman's name is Diana Lynn. And Diana Lynn felt that it would be best for us to chronicle care of a patient. She said, could I send it to you? Oh my God. Oh my God, yeah, please. She emailed it to me. It was five pages. And it was typed. And it was everything from my first few nights and everything. And she said to me, I know Carrie, who's my wife, and I know the kids. And she was always... She used to work a 12-hour shift, 11A to 11P. She said, and at the end of my shift, every night we called your wife, we talked to your family. She said, and on the fourth night, you were on the vent, you were on high vent settings. And uh, she said, and we didn't think you were going to make it. She said, and so the attending called your wife and they said, uh, you know, Mrs. Gersha, um, we have to make your husband a DNR and we have to split his vent. And my wife, who's a microbiologist, said, a DNR, he's 53 years old. We have three children. You can't make him a DNR. And the doctor explained to her uh, that uh, that there wasn't enough resources and that a man as sick as I was, if, if I went into cardiac arrest, they couldn't put caregivers at risk to, to resuscitate me. And oh so God. in the letter, Allie writes, it was at that night that my team and I, and she had a team of five nurses, we decided we could not let you die because you were one of us. And Nick, they never met me before. They didn't know me. Wow. They just committed to, to, to taking care of me, she said. And after about eight days, a doctor had come from Boston, I think, because they were, you know, swapping docs around to share ideas. Yeah, and, trying to figure it out. And they decided to prone me and put me on my stomach for those of you that are not EMS folks. And she said, we think that saved your life and you progressively got better. And so, you know, um, Lenny, Lenny, explain what splitting event is. So because important, because there were not enough ventilators in the beginning and at the height of COVID, Yale New Haven Hospital had 800 COVID patients and like 300 of them were in the ICU. The hospital turned medical units that hadn't been ICUs into ICUs. Split the vent means they're going to give me some time on the vent and then they're going to give another person some time on the vent or are both going to share the vent. They're just going to split the pressure. And and, I mean, that's how desperate the medical community had become. And and so, you know, it's just, it's been an, it's been an amazing journey. And, you know, even today, I think I said, uh, I met a woman who said, oh my God, I cared for you. And and I'm like, thank you. You know, I, I really have to thank all these people. So fast forward to February of uh, 
2022. Now that's how long it was because um, I had taken a new position in the fall of 20, director of patient transport, because I felt like I've done a lot in EMS in 30 years, but I was in a sort of an administrative position and I wanted to get back to take care of patients. So back in the hospital and in December, a couple of weeks into my job, um, part of our job, my crew and I, we bring patients who are deceased to the morgue. And bear in mind, my transporters are not medically trained. They get CPR, but they were just as much in the thick of COVID as the nurses and the respiratory therapists and everybody else. And so it was a busy day. I volunteered to go on a morgue run with one of our young transporters, a young girl named Kame. And for those of you not familiar with the layout of Yellowhaven Hospital, the morgue is in a really old part of the building. And you, um, sorry. And so you have to go through a tunnel to get to the morgue. And so we're moving this patient through the morgue to the morgue and I'm looking around and Kame said to me, um, are you okay? And I said, um, I said, no, I said, you know, Kame, I was almost a patient on this morgue car. And, and so she said to me sheepishly, she said, I moved you when you were sick and I was kind of embarrassed to tell you. And I was like, oh my God, Kame, thank you so much. Um, you know, I, I appreciate your efforts and, and thank you for saving my life and everything else. And so now we're moving forward. I'm getting better all the time. And I nominated Allie and her team for what's called the Peace Award. Yes. And uh, so the Peace Award is healthcare providers <clears throat> being recognized by their colleagues for outstanding service. And literally anyone in any hospital firehouse, EMS agency, police agency, local public health during COVID should get the peace award. And so I buy a basket of goodies, you know, coffee pods and, and chocolates and everything else. And I go up to the floor with permission and I, I get there, Nick, and, and they're saying to me, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm like, thank you. What are you thanking me for? You guys kept me alive. All I did was get better. <laughs> and they said, no one comes to see us. Sorry. <laughs> and sorry. Okay. I told you about my voice. Okay. No one comes to see us. They either get better and go away or they don't make it. And so I've since developed a bond with Allie. I text back and forth. She's, um, she's in APRN school now. Nice. And so, she is one shining representative of an entire care team. And, you know, it's just been, it's just been an unbelievable journey. And I even now, we, I think we saw the picture. Didn't you have a picture taken with her? With the rest yeah, of the hospital crew, right? I, yeah, I, I put it on my uh, LinkedIn page. She got the peace award. And, and so uh, I'm forever in the debt of Allie and literally thousands of people. And now, because of some long COVID lingering effects, I get an echocardiogram every cardiogram every four months, and I have some kidney issues. And my trachea is the kind of the worst, the worst bit of it. But you know, every day I get up and I feel the floor on my feet, and and I say, okay, you know, I'm one millionth patient plus one, so 
shut up Gershon and get rolling. So what's that's called what's next? Right. Yeah. So, you, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's the story. And then when you saw me speak, um, it was at the Mohegan sun a couple months ago. And, uh, for those of you that don't know me, I also spent 10 years as the state EMS director in Connecticut. So I really met a lot of people. I say I'm the jack of all trades and master of none. Um, and, and so uh, the introduction was made by Dr. Gary Campbell, the uh, director of the trauma program at St. Francis Hospital. And I, I try to be a humble guy. And Gary got up on the podium and he said, you know, I'm going to introduce this guy. He's like the grandfather of EMS in Connecticut. He said, and on the day that we heard at our trauma meeting, our trauma grand rounds at Len Gersha was in the ICU with COVID. He said, the whole place stopped dead. And, and, and so, you know, that's the kind of, I don't that's the kind of reception I get. Um, I don't precipitate that. I want to be behind the scenes. I, you know, leave the out front to the media relations people. But, you know, there's Nick, there's like a million people that I need to thank. And so every day my job is to pay it forward. And I retell this story quite a bit to this venue and others. I learned a valuable lesson um, when I was a kid. My father was a volunteer firefighter for 25 years in our town. He was a captain of the department. And he taught my siblings and I, um, you know, one lesson. He said, the only time you look down on somebody is when you're helping them up from the street. And Chief, I've lived every day of my life before COVID and now double down after COVID to stay true to his words. Well, I got to tell you, the, the, the reason... Because we had to, I'm telling you, when when um, when JT posted that, it blew up. Yeah, it blew up. It was it was huge. It was humongous. And I'm telling you, a lot of people hit their knees that night. And and but part of, you know, when you know this from, again, being around and being involved in bigger projects. There's probably, back in the day, when I was completely out of control. <laughs> there was probably there was probably six people that I talked to, or that I was a, a group of, um, and we whenever something was going on, I talked to one of those six people. You were one of those six people. I mean, because whether it was top off or trying to get someone, they they're getting their R one up, or the paramedics are starting up, or whatever it may be. That was your hub. That was your niche, right? And I remember even when we got into some of the radiation stuff, uh, I can't remember your the director of public health at the time. It was uh, Dr. Dr. Galvin. Right? So we're yeah. there's all this stuff that we're we're dealing with and doing when we man, when we got when we got the uh when we got the DMAC going, oh my God. Yeah. And then, I mean we were sharing and I happened to be involved at USAR at the time, so we're in the same space. And again, we're sharing resources. Hey, we're going here. We've got this. We've got that. When when they needed to, when they built the castle in yeah. Bombtown, and we needed a place to be a command post, I called you, and I said, yeah. "Listen, I, can I borrow the trailer? <laughs> and maybe <laughs> maybe one of the sixty foot tents just for a week, yeah. you know." And, and you, you took me down that crazy two lane road with that huge trailer. <laughs> 
right? But then, the, and then, and, and that's not, I mean, and we heated it. I mean, you guys provided all that. We started teaching all kinds of people how to put those tents up. Yep. Because again, your thought process is we're one big team. We yep. may not be wearing the same clothes, but in the when the when the truck rolls over, or we have a plane crash, we're all going to be standing around in a circle. So we need to know each other, and we need to to get it going. So you've done your that, dad proud. That that that's one of the that's one of the things, Chief. That I I'm frustrated about my career in the last thirty years, um, is that. I understand everybody has an ego. I have great respect for firefighters. My brother has been a truckie in New Haven for 20 years. I was a patrolman as well as a paramedic. But at the end of the day, there's so few of us as a collective team. We need to leave our egos in our offices. You know, I, I've, I've come toe to toe with EMS chiefs and fire chiefs and state troopers. And I say, wait a minute, we're all in this together. And, and you know, 9-11 came and I remember we all walked a little taller and with a little more pride and people would say hi to us and, you know, and then that waned. And then, you know, COVID came and nurses and first responders were the top of the heap. And now fast forward two and a half years and, you know, the healthcare system is so stressed out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a, it's a difficult thing. So again i want to reinforce for the viewers i'm not anybody special i was just a guy that got sick and my mission is if something that i can do now helps with research um, or keeping others from getting sick or just getting the message out <clears throat> I, I, that's that's what i'm that's why god spared me i think nick and you know and obviously to take care of my well, my three children he looked down and he saw there's one of the good ones. We had to make sure we don't bring him up that he's not. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that, Chief, but I, I think somebody might have had the shroud over me. But, uh, you know, well, I got I, I to tell you, I uh, more than one person said to me, and I won't say who they are. I don't want to embarrass them. They said he, they're going to. I said, I said, did, did you hear that Lenny is down at, at Yale on a vent? And the, the to the one, every one of them, they said, well, thank God, because they're going to throw everything they can at them to keep them. Yeah. Right? And, and they, they didn't just do it for me, Nick. They literally did it for everybody. I know. I just, it's because I don't want to give anybody the, the no, no, no. impression, but no, yeah, no, it's no. just, uh, I don't know. I, uh, nobody, understands, nobody understands um, the cleaning ladies, the transportation people, the food right. people, the, right. the keeping... Just, you know, you're not plumb for that much energy. You're not plumb for that much oxygen. You're not plumb for that much whatever, right? And so now we've got engineering folks that thought they had the best things since sliced bread already there. And, and now they've stressed their backups and they've stressed their system. And, and oh, by the way, we've got so many people dying. We got to get them out of here and we need right. so much equipment. We got to get it in here. And I mean, just... To, just think about the logistics of everything that happened, you know, and if, even like Mass General, Mass General blew through something they've had for decades and they blew through it like in the month and it was gone. It was like a huge warehouse and it was gone. So in our former roles, Chief, you know that we lived past 9-11 and smallpox attacks and yeah. mobile hospital and we made mass distribution plans for pharmaceuticals and masks and everything. And and, and so 
for the pox. <clears throat> right, for smallpox. And then I haven't heard anybody say anything about pox until monkeypox. And so, you know, we, we made a lot of plans and I think we forgot them. But, but I also think that, you know, like when the chips were down, and I got to give a plug for the EMTs and the paramedics, our state finally woke up and said, hey, we have this cadre of trained people that can give injections. That's right. Let's backstop the local health and the hospitals and let's start letting paramedics give injections. Nobody lost their job. Nobody's knickers gotten a knot. And we used that resource. And, uh, you know, I think of I think of now Deputy Chief uh, Bollier in Manchester, mm. who he and I have been on the Mobile Integrated Health Committee, Community Paramedicine, since it started. And uh, Josh has been beating that drum for seven years. And finally, somebody said, hey, let's get the paramedics to help. You know, those are the kind of things that... Uh, and I, and I don't mean to stray off topic, but no, you're not. You're not. That's how this works. The yeah, this is. But but along that same time, I'm like losing my mind, and I'm going. I I said I don't mean to be disrespectful to public health, but FEMA hands out stuff every day. They even have trucks, right? Yeah. And then the second thing is, how are we going to do this? How are we I said, we did all these big drills for smallpox. The right. School is, the school's still there. The cafeteria is still there. The yep. lanes are even still probably painted. Matter of fact, we even probably bought all those cones and we could do this. Let's go. Let's, right. let, why do yep. we need to go inside of a building? We, yep. we, we, we did this. We practiced it. We even gave fake injections. Let's go. We've, the yep. system's already there. You just, you just gotta get the right people to talk to the right people. And it, and it was like going. giving away M&Ms for the small, for the, uh, for the anthrax drills, right? I'm sorry, anthrax. Thank you. That's what I was trying to come up with. We did all this. Yeah. We what are we waiting for? I, I but I will tell you something that you would get a kick out of. So um I got hired uh by Hartford Healthcare for uh just as the mega clinics were opening up. So I spent the first I don't know how many weeks at uh Foxwoods doing the mega clinic, right? We were banging out like 890, 900 people a day. Mm -hmm. we, were, we were, we were humping. So we're going, but back then it was so new and we were waiting for the, we were waiting for the, uh, you know, the injections that I had people come up, hug me and crying. And I'm like, yeah. no, you can't hug me. <laughs> right. right, right. You, I appreciate that now. And then of course at the end here, uh, a couple of months ago, when all the deadlines were coming up for having your vaccines, your vaccinations, maybe not the same atmosphere, but we just said, listen, we're here. We're here to do a service. We're here to help you get through what you got to get through and do what you got to do. And right. we'll let go, you know, right. we, and we had we were doing consoling. So we were consoling in the beginning that it's going to be OK. And we're consoling in the end going, it's going to be OK. And, and Chief, back to top off. That was an opportunity and top off happened all over the country for military and civilian resources to come together. And, and the adjutant general, who's a good friend of mine, when I was in the hospital at Gaylord getting better, and I saw the military delivering mobile field hospital to Middlesex. And I said, oh my God, that five years of hell was worth it. Yep. Getting that asset 
in Danbury and at Middlesex and in other places because people thought we were crazy in 2020 or 2001 and 2002. You want to spend $10 million to buy a hospital that we're never going to use. Well, he used it. We had a fight somewhere and uh, because I wanted, and again, you helped us out several times with different projects and we wanted the, we just wanted one of the big uh, sausages. On the, on the pier, on the, on state pier in New London. We did, did that. that but then, yeah. And then we and also, anyway, you, we had this battle because the, the locals, the locals thought we were bringing the DMAT team in. Right. And I, I go, no, we're just borrowing their stuff. They'll lend yeah. it to you. Yeah, they'll lend it to you. You know, you'd be yeah. nice to them and you ask them nicely and you yeah. can do that, you know. And then, right, when we did the Radcon drill, we yeah. used, again, that, that same stuff. The biggest yeah. one, without a doubt, though, was the um, I-95 truck crash. Yeah. Um, the whole world changed that day. And, and yeah. but again, all I had to do is call my buddy Lenny and say, listen, I need a, I need one of the big tents for a command post. It's going to get dark here and we need to be able to meet in the yeah. light. And, and you know, having, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Chief, but having a having a boss like Dr. Bob Galvin, a retired Army two-star, was a doctor, and when he was seventy-four, he was bored, so he got his MBA. <laughs> having an operationally minded guy like that <laughs> made all the difference in the world. The hospital, Mobile Field Hospital equipment was like forty trailers of air conditioners and equipment, and one day there was a nursing home fire in West Haven and they had no air conditioning in August. And so he said to me, do you think we could go cool the place down somewhat? And uh, absolutely, so we, we brought me, my medical director and three nurses drove three trucks and air conditioning units to West Haven, set it up and keep the place relatively cool. The other big deployment in Eastern Connecticut was when there was a fire outside the L&M. They had that fire in the electrical vault Yep. that fried everything and we ran the ac for like 48 hours into the ed we couldn't cool the whole building so right you know the stuff didn't belong to me it didn't belong to the department of public health it belonged to the people of the state of connecticut and i tell you a story nick that's not related to covid but when we were doling out the um, h1n1 vaccine yep. and we're in a meeting down in the new london area and the commander of the sub-base, Groton, was in the meeting. And, and so I stood up and said, with the authority of my commissioner, we want to give some vaccine to the sailors at the sub-base. And some of my local colleagues said, we don't know why you want to do that. I said, because those sailors are not prisoners. They come off the base to go get pizza. They live in Lyme. They live in Haddam. They live all over the place. And the, the commander of the the sub base, I don't remember what his rank was, said to me, you think kind of globally. I'm like, sir, I don't know anything about running a nuclear submarine out of the base into the ocean. If those seamen can't do their jobs, we're kind of all in trouble. And so I said to him, you know, the only thing that separates me from you is a steel fence and you wear a uniform and I wear a tie. And that's kind of not just my demeanor, yours, chief. And many of your colleagues and then, and we pick a lot of their people before right <laughs> so that's that's kind of the sentiment from covid we've gone kind of a little bit off the topic but that's that's why i've done it all these years you know 
You want to be able to call someone. Nick says, I got a bad crash. I need shelter for my people. I got shelter in the backyard. We're going to bring it down to Nick and set it up and, you know. But then you also set them up all over the place so that they, we didn't have to come out of Brainerd for all of them, right? Right, right. Had them all, matter of fact, we started, we started actually training um, the CERT folks on how to do that. At Stone's Ranch. At Stone's Stone Ranch. Ranch. Yeah. We did. We had all these classes. We said, listen, if we need to, it could be anything. It could be, like I said, a convalescent home where we need to bring people inside or whatever it is. And again, yeah. these great, these guys just wanted to do anything. They just wanted to help yeah. out and do that. And um, even then with CERT, CERT volunteers doing great stuff. No, great absolutely. Stuff. And you know what, that I was involved with that. And then my friend, uh, myself and Jeff Williams were doing it for a while. Um, we had some good stuff, when, especially when Jeff came on full time. We did some great stuff. Hey, he just started his own little company, by the way. And and uh but again those folks we did all kinds of things together and those folks they just want to help they just they just now amazingly a lot of those went over for uh went over to sue at the red cross and they help over there and they help here right. and help everywhere so let me so if, if i don't if, if, if this is too personal then tell me that let's talk about something else but so is, is your throat from the into from being on the vent or is that just from something else no my throat is from scar tissue from being intubated for so long okay there's studies now and i'm gonna probably misquote them but um you're only supposed to be intubated for like 12 days but no oh, i didn't even knew, think it was that long nobody okay. knew that uh before they're supposed to trach you but right forget, that's what they, that's what they yeah, usually do this is so this was so new um that they didn't know and so my trachea the diameter of my trachea is one third the size it's supposed to be i've had <laughs> excuse me a couple of ablations you know trying to open it up yeah they work for a while um and then you know they said well we could do a really invasive surgery and open up your throat and take that piece out. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'll pass. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll be right here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live. <laughs> the, oh, hang on. Oh man, no, Whoa, there you go. Hold on you go. Go. <laughs> Um, That's amazing. I mean, it just, it's just crazy. I, I have a, I, I have a young man who was involved in a head on, um, uh, traumatic brain injury, broke all kinds of stuff, got stabilized at L&M. And then um, got shipped. I think he went to Hartford. Yeah. No, LNM would be Yale. So yeah. he went from LNM to Yale. They fixed him up. It was like a mash thing. They fixed him up a little bit more. And then he went up to Gaylord. Gaylord's an amazing place. I, I said in the beginning, Chief, Yale saved my life and Gaylord gave me my, gave me my life back. They taught me how to walk. You know, it's, it's, uh, I'm not an egotistical person, but when Maria and God bless Maria said, she said to me one day, Lenny, you stink. You stink. Said, I'm sorry. I said, I haven't showered in a while. She said, we're going to take a shower. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I said, Maria, I've been married for 28 years. I've not been naked in front of anyone in 28 <laughs> years, but my wife. And she said, oh, I've seen it all. This woman didn't know me wheeled me to the shower, started the shower, boosted me up, put me in. She said, you get clean now. And so, you know, I, you know, got clean and 
took me back to the room and, you know, at a rehab center, you can't get a razor to cut paper, let alone shave your face. So the next day she comes in and, uh, and she says, I took razors from my husband so we could get a good shave. And this She took better care of me than anyone ever has. Um, I, I want to tell you another story I told you about Allie and the nurses. And I want to tell you a story about Jess, my nurse at Gaylord. Um, Jess was my day nurse. And I learned everything about Jess. She was married. She had two kids. Her husband was a Mason. And after I started to feel my oats, if you will, I said to Jess, Jess, the food here is great. I said, but the coffee's horrible. I said, do you have a car here? She said, of course, of course I have a car here. I said, listen, I have money, which I didn't. And she, I said, listen, let me borrow your keys. I'm going to run over to Starbucks. I'm going to get coffee and I'll come back. She said, you're out of your mind. I said, no, no, come on, come on. I'll get you one. I'll get one. So I had the guy the next day, the next morning I wake up and on the, on the and I wish I could show you a picture, but on the, the table, you know, the yep. bed table, there's a coffee and a smiley face and it said, hope you have a great day, Jess. And so every day for the duration of my stay, there was a coffee with some creamers on the side. No kidding. Even to the point where there was a couple days come, coming up where I knew she was going to be off. And I wake up and there's a coffee with the same smiley face. And this pregnant nurse, about eight months pregnant, comes in. Her name was Karen. And I said, Karen, what's that? And she said, just maybe get up an hour early, stop at Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> and get you a coffee. And again, they didn't know me from Adam. The only person yeah. I ended up knowing at Gaylord was a former state trooper, Kevin, who was the evening nurse. And after I felt, you know, better, he'd come in and we'd talk or we'd, you know, listen, listen to some sports. And uh, I'm going to tell you one other story that's kind of comical. Um, I have one of my best friends in the whole world is a guy named Lou Fognell. He is a West Haven uh, firefighter engineer, now retired. And Lou called me every single day and we would talk on the phone. And, and so one day I'm talking to Lou on the phone and this very nice here, young, uh, nice lady business associate comes in and she says, Mr. Gersha, there's a phone call for you at the desk. And of course I gotta be a wise ass. I said, call for me. I'm in the witness protection program. No one knows I'm here. <laughs> and she scurried out of the room and went, oh, my God, I think there's a problem. So I said to Lou, I got to call you back. I hobbled into the wheelchair. I raced down the down the hall. And I said, ma'am, I, I got to tell you, I'm a paramedic. I was talking to my buddy. I said, and I'm really sorry. You know, I, I'm a real stone crusher. She leaned across the desk and me neck my hand to God. And she said, my father's a battalion chief in the career fire department. She said, I know what kind of ass hat you guys can be. And we <laughs> laughed. So, so, you know, nobody knows. The, the extent of people's caring and, and uh, you know, and, and not just me. I mean, my wife had a black notebook when I read the letter from Allie, my wife made me stop reading it because she's put, had a black, like one of those English when you're a kid. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah. 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 The black and every, yeah. Every day and time that Allie wrote Carrie, my wife had wrote down, this is what they called split the vent. These were his O2 sats and everything. And, Wow. And on, on, the, on the last several pages, she had a list of conservatively, I want to say 200 family names and phone numbers of people who brought <laughs> food here and gift cards and 
you know, offered help and cut the grass and do everything. And, and that's not something I'm used to. I'm used to going out and getting the gift cards and, right. and sort of being that. <laughs> I think, you know, we're, we're part of a, a, a brotherhood and sisterhood where we'll do that for you. We'll come cut your grass. We'll come paint your house. It's whatever you, if you needed a ramp to get in your house, we'll build your ramp. You know, or they'll build me over whatever. It, that's part of that. I just, I, I think when you look at some of the pictures, or you watch some of the news accounts, you're getting the tip of the iceberg. You know, again, I, I like, I like the little guys. I, I like the guys that if they didn't do their job, the, the famous guys, wouldn't be able to do their job. I always, I always. Uh, uh, Spent a little bit of time in, in uh, church camps and stuff, and again, it's I always walk up to the kid who's why there's this some 14 year old kid or 16 year old kid washing the dishes, right? And I yep. tell him, I said, listen, if you didn't do the dishes, nobody eats tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, right? you, you brought it up earlier, right? Like, like the transporters that that are on my team. Transporters. Until I it, until I got to the hospital, my transporters were using surgical masks. And I don't have any, I don't have any magic, you know, I don't have any golden globe I can look in. And, and, and so I worked hard and got all my transporters and 95 fit tested. I, right. I called on my old EMS colleagues. We did a blitz and they said, <laughs> some of them said, why did you do that? I said, cause I'm responsible for your health, right. you know, <laughs> and you're right. EVS parking. You know, all those non, all the facilities engineers, you know, <laughs> who spent hours swapping out filters and keeping the water a, going. When you put all that protective clothing on, even though the, the you know, the HEPAs, I, they had the good ones that blew over your face. But even even with that, that's a, you're wearing multiple layers and you're in a, you right. know, and you're not standing still. You're yeah. not sitting down tight, you know, you're moving. The AC's got to be on. The, the environment right. is very, very important. Right. I, I equate it to firefighters in level A hazmat. Right. We're out there on a 90 degree day trying to stop a tanker from leaking. And they come out of the suits and the bottom of their boots have three inches of perspiration in it. And you could back me up as a no, career absolutely. fire chief, you know, and, and I'm thinking, absolutely. oh, my God, they, they lost like 20 pounds doing that. And they, and that was the other thing that we saw. We just saw a lot of people. Uh, that's a hell of a way to go on a diet. But we saw a lot of people that lost tremendous because they weren't able to eat, right? So obviously, if you're not, you're you're getting your food another way. If you're obviously if you're on the vent, but even like the employees, they're not getting. I mean, there's it's like rock and roll, rock and roll, rock and roll. Right. Try to get some sleep. We're coming back tomorrow. And then again, that all the acne is breaking out, and it's you know m many of the staff, and and I think this happened all around the country, many of my transporters didn't leave for days. Right. They knew, they A, they knew we needed help. They didn't know what they could potentially bring home to their families. This was before I got there, they set up cots. Many of the nurses and the BAs and the environmental, they, they, they stayed. And uh, you know, the one good thing about COVID is I lost 52 pounds. Um, and, and since then, because of lack of sleep and I've put it all back. I'm, I'm, you know, I said, geez, I want to get COVID again just to lose weight. No, you don't. No, I, I really, I really, I really don't. So, you know, Nick, um, my one message to everybody, and again, I'm, I'm no.
Uh-oh. was got COVID and and uh, and got better is treat everybody with respect. It doesn't matter where you are in life. You could be the president of the United States or an intoxicated person in New London. Just be nice to everybody. I mean, our, so much bad stuff happens to people every day. And, and I do think that in the public safety and public health arena, and you're closer, things have gotten better. You know, they're not as good as they were in the weeks after 9-11, but I think they've gotten better. And, and we've proven that, you know, we can step up because when COVID came, there was no cavalry. There was no 911. You no. know, there was nobody, nobody else coming. So, um, I, it's, uh, it's just amazing that, and you know, and again, everybody is like, what do you need? And, and, and why do I have to do that? And all this stuff. So like, like, listen, you can believe it's real, believe it's not real, believe whatever you want. But I said, but when you see people that are really sick and they're really okay. sick, it's, it's, it, it'll, it'll get your attention. Right. And, and, and it, it, was, it was indiscriminate. I mean, I, I, right. I didn't know. it's not like you saw a cloud of methyl ethyl green shit coming out of a tanker and you knew to stay away no. from it. I don't know where I got it or when I, you know, I, I know I got it in the hospital, but you know who the patient was or so, you even know, like the N, even like the N95s, I was getting get very upset in the beginning because doctors were giving all their seniors N95s. Good idea. They just didn't tell them how to wear them. They said, right. oh, here's a mask. Take a mask. Take a mask. Right. So now we got, I got guys walking around like this. I got guys walking around like this. I got, and nobody had two two straps on. Yeah. It was just like, it was like, what I do is if I'm doing a house call, I'm wearing an N95. If we're yeah. doing like, a, uh, if, I mean, if, you know, if someone's required to have a mask on, depending on where it is, if I was in the hospital, I'd wear an N95. Yeah, but if it was you know a theater or something else, I just wear. I was wearing a surgical mask. But again, I'm, I'm, through my job, I'm fit tested because we we use that we use APRs and all that stuff. You right. know, like part of the deal. So I, I'm fit tested as well and, and vaccinated and boosted and and the one thing I regret um, is that I can't be a medic again. Uh, nothing's prohibiting me but my cognizance is not all there. And I don't ever want to be in a position where someone right. needs me and I can't well, remember a protocol, but, but I have started to ride third as an EMT. I was going to say you, I thought you were riding third to help <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to help them with a little QA and, you know, my daughter's going to go to college for nursing in the fall. And nice. I have a free, <laughs> yeah, you picked, where, where's she going? She's going to university of Miami. That's right. That's I right. A, I remember that. I was in the pre-med program at Louisiana State. My older son works in industry. So you are going to be working for a while. Yeah. Until <laughs> <laughs> I'm 80. I've been practicing the welcome to Walmart, you know. The summer <laughs> seeds are in. What would you like to grow in your garden? But I'll tell you a funny story. There was a guy from New York City <laughs> who retired from New York, came out to the submarine base, Chief Curley. Oh, was he funny? He was a sharp dude. And uh, but when he got all done at the base, he went to Ames. Yeah. Before there was a Walmart, he yeah. went to Ames, and he was that guy. He was that guy out front. He was great. He was yeah. great at it, you know, because he's just a friendly guy, and that's what you need out there. You don't need somebody, you know, barking rules at you. Well, you know, Chief, I'm I I gotta I gotta say I'm honored 
uh, to you and your colleague, Jamie. I'm sorry about the dog was barking. It's all right. Um, but uh, um, you said to give you the high sign. I'm starting to run out of gas. When I start no. to really sound like Darth Vader, you know that <laughs> time for me to give my voice a rest. Well, listen. Um, I, I'm really honored to be part yeah. of this. And hopefully somebody that hears this or takes a few minutes to watch it knows that um, COVID didn't care who you were, didn't care what your zip code was or how much money you made. Chiefs and Indians and everywhere in between got sick and yeah. a million plus people died. And, so. and it gives some hope to those with uh, family who are sick uh, and are sick sick that yeah. there is a there is an opportunity there is a possibility that it's going to be okay yeah I, I i can't imagine communicating with my wife and my kids over a ipad yep. and when, when you know when things are dire to protect to protect the team obviously no one went in the hospital other than patients and no one went into gaylord and they did window visits yeah. After you got strong enough and you could walk, um, your family could come to the main entrance in 10 minute intervals and stand outside the window. Oh, wow. You could talk to them through the window and nothing more powerful than to put my hand to the glass and feel my wife's hand against the glass. I, I probably couldn't feel the heat of her hand through the glass, but and to see my kids, you know, and, and oh, yeah, you know, that that's a a scene from star trek <laughs> something you know and it's just you can never underestimate that human touch and oh yeah it just be nice to everyone and you know one little part of my gaylord story before you go is i have a good friend from little league and his name is tony terzi and people in new england will know tony terzi is an anchor at yeah. fox News affiliate yeah and one day the gaylord staff came in and said do you want to do an interview for the six o'clock news? And I went, no. And they said, well, they're bringing a 60 foot American flag here to honor the healthcare workers. And they'd like you to go out and talk. And it's a guy named Tony Terzi. <laughs> and I went, oh my God, I'd do anything for Tony. We're literally coaches. And I went out and by a wheelchair and talked to Tony for a few minutes. And this flag was beautiful. It was a local tree service here in Connecticut. They were you know, bringing it around to healthcare facilities and the military did flyovers and fire departments, Hartford Healthcare parked the ladder, Hartford Fire parked the yeah. ladder front. And so there was no Hatfields and McCoys, whether you were at, you know, UCLA Medical Center or Hartford yeah. or Yale or L&M or Bacchus or Rockville. We were all in this together and we still continue to be. COVID's still I here. And we share, we share information, we share technology, we share thoughts, we share, what are you doing about this? What are you doing about that? Who's doing this? You know, the prone thing that a good friend of ours said, who uh, got a, a pneumonia after doing four days of pump jobs, one hurricane, uh, they tried, unfortunately, the prone thing didn't work for him. That was the first time I'd ever seen that. And that saved, I mean, that became, that became a standard, right? Okay. That they were doing that. Yeah. Everybody, right. Just change. It's all about gravity. Right. I change. I have scars on my face and on the back of my head from laying on the mask. And the people in the ICU said, we're sorry about your face. I'm like, well, first of all, I got a face for radio. Second, <laughs> second of all, 
What do you mean you're sorry? You saved my life. So things that I think people globally thought were important, Chief, are not really important. You know, your family, the protection of your family, the safety of your family in in a chief's role, the safety of your responders, that's the most important part of it. Exactly. Absolutely. You know, you know, the, the, uh, you know, I got nurses working 14 hour shifts and pappers and transporters working 12 hour shifts because some moron basketball player gets stopped for speeding at 200 miles an hour. A guy who makes a hundred million dollars a year, I could care less. No, I give, listen. Give a nurse, give a nurse that money, give a PCA that money. Some of the stuff, some of the stuff, and we have this conversation. My daughter's eleven, and we have this conversation about who's important and what's important and stuff. And again, some of the stuff we worry about. I don't have time for that. I I don't Twitter. I don't do a lot of those things. I worry about more fundamental things. That's just how I roll. You know what I mean. Yeah. Truck truck drivers and people worked at truck stops and oil refineries and just keeping everything moving. Just you know, we're seeing that we're seeing that now. We're trying to we're trying to uh, get something repaired, and yeah. we're literally searching all over the world to try to find these to try to find these parts. It's just so, like I said, it's been an honor to be invited, and hopefully, this doesn't end up on the cutting room floor. No, they will not. No, I can I can guarantee that. <laughs> I can. I kind of gave you all what you wanted, and hopefully your editors will no. cut out the dog, the dog barking, and me no. murdering your twenty-two. Now, where we go with the flow? When we were in Indianapolis, the, the ambulances and the engines kept going by. So it's just what it is. It's real life. It's That's real life. And thank life. you so it's much for. Life. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story. I mean, it's really um, incredible and impactful, and. If I can just say for myself, somebody who has a, well, she just turned three today. I have two young, two young ones who just got the ability to be vaccinated. We've, we've taken the last um, three years very seriously and um, definitely don't take it for granted all the hard work that everybody did in the hospital. And um, I appreciate you shining some light on all of their efforts too, with your story. I think it's incredible. It's my honor to, to be able to retell it and you hit the nail on the head and you're a responsible parent. You want to do the right thing and mm-hmm. put politics and six o'clock news aside. Our health is the most important thing for us. And because if you don't it. have health, you don't have nothing. That's true. I know a lot of I know a lot of uh, of, of folks. You know that again. They're once once they lost their health. I mean, their life just spirals, and it's right. just trying to survive the next day. Yeah. All right, but I'm going to take a couple of minutes for some shameless plugs. But before, so thank you, Lenny, for uh, coming on and sharing your story. I told you it was going to be good. It's a <laughs> story in the domain. I hope so. Way. Thanks, Chief. Let me do a, just a couple of uh, things here. So uh, uh, coming up in uh, in September, on September 21st, we have Dennis O'Neill. He was the uh, assistant fire administrator for the United States. He ran the National Fire Academy um, in the U.S. Fire Administration for many years. We also have Rick Lasky, like uh, Pride. Uh, of course, now I can't read my writing. And I should know that. Anyway, Rick Lasky from uh, Texas is going to be with us. We also have uh, Frank Viscozo, the Pride and Ownership. Um, I'm sorry. Pride and ownership was Rick Lasky. 
See, you got me all going here. Step up and lead. Uh, we also have Chief John Norman's going to be on and also Captain Mike Dugan. So we have a lot of good people coming up, coming on. Remember, for those uh, that are around this weekend at the DCU Center in Worcester, we have the New England Fire Chiefs. We're going to be in booth 308, 308. So please stop by and see us. Um, and as always, uh, I, oh, I should mention that we have a, we are truly an international company now. Um, my chief, my boss has always called our office world headquarters, but uh, as of last Friday, uh, one of our guys landed in Japan. Uh, he's going to be doing three naval uh, stations in Japan, doing aerial, uh, aerial inspections and uh, testing. And then he'll be going and flying to Guam, where he'll be doing some more there. And then they've actually asked him to teach a class for the mechanics out there as to the best way to take care of their apparatus. And he's one of our EVTs, emergency vehicle techs. So he's going to be doing that. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and again, uh, thank you everybody for continuing to watch. And and Lenny, thank you so much. Keith, uh, it was my pleasure. I really appreciate it.